Hey, everybody, welcome to This Week in Startups. I am super pleased to talk to the founder of Running Tide today because I care about climate change like I'm sure all of you do. I believe in climate change uh, and solving uh, that problem um, as best we can and, and that there must be solutions to it. But I'll be honest. I feel like a neophyte. I feel like I don't have the education I need. I trust the scientists. But as an investor and a technologist, I would really love to be able to invest in some companies and some visions and see people take some uh, big swings and some risks and uh, build companies around this. And my friend, Chris Saka, who's a big fan uh, or big friend of the pod, I should say, uh, I assume he's a fan of it, but <laughs> I know he's a friend of the pod, um, tweeted out from his at Saka account recently that Running Tide was the kind of company we're hoping we would find when we started lower carbon, everybody knows Chris Saka retired from angel investing, he did well enough with Instagram and Uber and decided, hey, uh, I'm going to just cash in my chips and be done. But then he said, you know what, nah, I want to do a, a carbon based um, venture fund investment fund. Uh, and he says here, bonker scale unreasonable ambition, massive impact on the planet during insane times, it's entrepreneurs like Marty Odlin, that fires up and uh, he linked to a story about running tide. And I thought, uh, even though it's early days, I would uh, have the founder, Marty Odlin on the program to talk to us about what he's doing with running tide. Welcome to the pod, Marty. Thank you very much. How many of these stocks would I as an American, average American need to put in the ocean to just be carbon neutral? Would I need to put 100 stocks, one stock? Uh, Okay, great question. Let me work yeah. it out really quick. <laughs> Jeez, th this is actually my nightmare when I was talking about coming on this. Uh, coming on the pod is actually doing like, like real time. Uh, like, I, I like really shouldn't that. ask it this way. It was kind of a jerk <laughs> like way to say it. But I mean, another okay. way to say it is how many stocks would it take for the entire planet to be yeah, I'll tell you neutral? that. I already ha I have that oh, figured have that out. One? Tell me that. Okay. One. Well, this is interesting. The average carbon footprint for someone in the U.S. is 16 tons. 16 uh, tons. Wow. Yeah, and the and the, the, the global global average is four tons. So we're 4x worse than the average. Okay, so if we went to eight tons as a global, you know, if we, or whatever. Uh, well, like, that, I mean, we know, I know exactly how many buoys it would take to get to 40 gigatons. Uh, okay. So that's 400 billion. Okay. So that's a lot. That's, that's a, a lot. huge amount of effort. Um, but it's, it's but, possible. But it's possible. And the possible, and the ocean can absorb it. This is right. the most important thing, right? We have, there are only so many places that you can take this carbon that's in the atmosphere and put it where it's out of the carbon cycle. So right. you can plant it into trees, you can put it into soil. Those are like somewhat temporary solutions because, mm. you know, they're, they're still in the carbon cycle where people could go cut down the trees or burn down the forest or like overtill the land and release the carbon. So those are great. We need to do those as fast as possible. We need but to plant trees. Yeah, we do. We need to do all of that. But then there's also this other type of carbon sequestration, which you call like permanent removal from the carbon cycle. And mm. that's critical because that's what we have to do to get back into balance. Mm. And so we need permanent removal. Um, so, you know, you can divide up the climate, climate work into like three parts. You have uh, behavioral change. So we release less carbon, right? Eat like eat oysters. They're really good for you low carbon footprint, fantastic thing to do. It offsets potentially, uh, you know, more carbon intensive protein sources that you could, you could be eating, right? So those things are important to do. Beyond and you said scallops things. too? And scallops as well. Yeah, absolutely. I love those, those are all too. super important things to do. Um, and we, we need to do those. 
Then the other bucket is like pulling climate down or pu- mm. pulling carbon down out of the atmosphere. And then you put it in and you want to do it into permanent places. So permanent places would be turn it into rock or like mm. calcium carbonate um, where it's going to be super stable and it's not like it'd be take a ton of energy to get it out. So it's unlikely people would do that in the future. Then you have um, you could turn it back into oil or like a gas and inject it deep underground. So there's some really interesting companies like Charm Industrial um, that's that are doing that. And then finally, you could sink it to the bottom of the of the deep sea, which we're doing. So yeah, and um, it doesn't harm the ocean to put that carbon down there. No, I mean it's a natural it's a natural process. And no, like once the carbon gets down there, it's down. And to when you talk about harm, like one of the things we have to be like super disciplined about is like we have to we have to acknowledge that like no matter what level of effort we do into reversing climate change, there will be externalities. But mm. what's the option? We, what, right. like, what's the option? We let the ocean acidify and die? Like, that's insane. Like, no, you know, it, it's, gotta, that's completely not an option. Yeah, right. So, so like, 400 so, billion to sequester everything in there or just to be neutral for the year? That's neutral for the year. Got so, it. you have to do that plus you have to decarbonize. And if we decarbonize and do that, then it would take us 20 years to get it all down. I mean, it's, it's like conservatively, it's going to be, you know, and this is like a huge number but it's like people talk about like 40 trillion dollars to get Mm. the carbon out of the atmosphere down and doesn't actually seem like an impossible number i'll be totally honest seems possible it's it's possible it is possible the technologies are not fully baked no no one no one has this fully baked nobody has this dial nobody's like hey you give me 40 trillion dollars this is done you know what i mean like we're not there yet but we need to get there really really fast so what would it take? What, what is the cost of today to drop a stock? Is it $100? Is it $1,000? Um, yeah, I mean, it's on the order of... Um, uh, I mean, it, you know, it's on the order of like $150 to $200. Hmm. Um, oh, oh per, per stock. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I was talking per ton. Yeah. Um, but per yeah, ton I is mean, interesting too to look at. Yeah, I mean, it's, so, so I, let's do per ton because then it's apple to apples when you have other people on board, right? So, yeah, yeah we're looking like 150 to 200 dollars a ton. We think like it, as we scale, you get some economies of scale. We get better at this. We're better at our selection of species, etc. We get better at our deployment locations. We refine our models, and you yeah. know, I think it's totally reasonable for us to get under 50 dollars a ton. I think 50 dollars. Wait, a how many about, tons did an average American use? Did you say before? Uh, 16. Okay, so, so it's not a crazy amount. I mean, so if I spent two thousand, if I gave you two thousand dollars, I could be carbon neutral with this. Uh, I don't know your lifestyle, but yeah, <laughs> yeah actually, probably, I probably got to give you four K. I'm not flying on private jets, but my house yeah, is big. Yeah, totally. So I mean, I it's, do drive Teslas, but you know, yeah, that helps. That's how, that, that helps. helps. I, I don't. I'm not making any judgments, but yeah, I mean, you have to be. No, careful. I think like, we do need to make judgments. I think everybody to be, needs to be judged on this. Now yeah, going I mean, you know, it depends on what you eat. You should. Uh, yeah, that's a bit <laughs> of a challenge a of, for me. Eat a lot of shellfish and, uh, um, yeah, I, you know, you know. It, it, robots and, you know, automation, I would think if we really took this seriously, building or taking an old oil rig or an old platform that's already in the ocean and having robots build and do this work and just throw it overboard. Yeah. I wonder well, if that I mean, would work too. Or barges doing this on bar. Could you take an old oil tanker and make that into a, um, you know, greenhouse to to build this stuff, so it's just permanently out there. Oh, okay. No, sorry. No. <laughs> Is that the roadmap? No, no. Um, yeah, there's. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of ways to scale this type yeah. of effort. I mean, the, the, what we're doing, I, I don't want to like. It's 
there's a lot of sophisticated modeling that's going into this in terms of deploying in certain locations that are able to like have the correct nutrients and the biogeochemistry of the ocean bottom where you deploy is very important. So there's a lot of like, um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of like ocean knowledge and ocean data that gets crunched in order to make something like this, um, viable. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways that we can scale this up. And I think that it's, we have to, and you know, one way, you know, 400, 400 billion is not an insane number. It, it isn't because like, think how many coffee cups get made or think how many yeah. you know, trivial things that get made that don't like, aren't necessarily going to like, you know, for lack it, of a, to, to, to not be too overdramatic, but like you could potentially like have a huge impact on the future of civilization. Like, like I mean, Elon Musk says all the time, right? Doesn't he say like cl- climate change is one of the filters? It's like one of the great filters. If you, if you're, if a civilization can't get control over its atmosphere and the concentration of gases in its atmosphere, then it doesn't pass the great filter. Yeah. And, and what we mean by great filter in the sense is the filter of does your species make it to the next level? Right. One of them is like, can you not kill each other with war? There's one filter. Can you, can you build yeah. a society where warring factions don't destroy <laughs> each other? Nuclear weapons. <laughs> That's one fusion, nuclear weapons, whatever. I guess, you know, being able to contain pandemics like we're in the middle of right now is another one. It's an emergency podcast. Apple has released the new iPhone 12. And for the first time, I'm not buying the new iPhone. This really jumps the shark when they went to their virtue signaling, we're going to save the planet shtick, which is, you know, in fairness to them, they they do talk the talk and walk the walk. They are going to be carbon neutral. They do care about the environment. They will take their your products back to recycle them. That's all uh, fine and well. But when they went to this shot of the roof of the mothership headquarters, and I couldn't believe what they were telling me here, but listen to this, folks. We've also been transitioning our iPhone manufacturing partners to renewable energy. Okay, that's great. Renewable energy is perfect. We looked for ways to cut waste and use less material. Okay, I'm with you. Cut waste is a great idea. We have over 700 million lightning headphones. Okay, we got headphones, yes. Many customers have moved to a wireless experience. Yep, I bought three pairs of AirPods, sure. Wireless headphones. Definitely. And there are also over 2 billion Apple Power adapters out in the world. I know. I bought the all world. these adapters from you. And I got them in every room. And that's not counting the billions of third-party adapters. Yeah, I buy the Anchor ones. So we They're better than yours and cheaper. So we are these items from the iPhone box. What? Which reduces carbon emissions and avoids Wait. the mining and use of precious materials. When I, Removing when I pay- these items also means a smaller, lighter iPhone box. And this is where my head just explodes. Like, They're charging you $1,200 for a phone, but they took out the charger? Because there's already $2 billion on the planet, and they took out the headphones because they want you to buy the $300 ones? I mean, and then they're explaining to us that it's a smaller footprint, and the box is smaller because they took stuff out. But this is in your best interest and better for the planet. Okay, I get you, Apple. Uh, I see what you did there. You basically took everything out except for, and this is where you know everybody went crazy uh, on the Twitter not only to have the audacity to tell you you don't need a charger with your new $1,200 phone, and you don't need headphones with your new $1,200 phone, it's not like they lowered the price on this thing. It's still expensive. Um, but then the audacity is they still use a lightning connection. So if they actually did care 
about chargers and they do care about, they do care about the environment, why not go with the standard USB-C? Then we don't need as many of these. You make us buy a USB-C for our iPad Pros, you make us buy it for our MacBooks and our MacBook Airs and MacBook Pros. And every other device has moved to USB-C except for this one device which still makes us buy redundant lightning cables. So forgive me, but I find this ridiculous. Let's watch the rest of this video shot on the uh, solar panel roofed of the mothership. We can fit up to 70% more products on a shipping oh, pallet. Great. Reducing carbon emissions in our global logistics chain. That's why I'm buying an iPhone. Taken I want to get together. that global logistics changes better. changes we've made for iPhone 12 <laughs> cut over 2 million metric tons of carbon emissions annually. Great. It's like removing 450,000 cars from the road per Fantastic. year. This is huge. And we're really proud that Apple is taking the lead. We hope others will follow, making this impact even bigger for our planet. All right. So I thought that was like ridiculous and disingenuous. They should have said, hey, we took the $50 off the price of it because we're saving so much money for you. But mm, they didn't say that. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of human um, components to this. I know people who are in the service uh, of saving lives. It is always very personal. Um, my grandfather, a firefighter, my brother, a firefighter, my uncle, a cop, cousin, a cop, two other cousins in uh let's just say uh federal law enforcement i'll leave it at that uh so we got a we got a irish family filled with service uh, uh in firefighting and police in law enforcement uh, which informs a little bit of my thinking about the world i'll be honest um but you you have a personal connection to this steve you were a banker i believe for 20 years, uh, you left South Africa uh, to go to London and make some bank in banking, as one does. Uh, but you had some personal tragedy, and, and I know uh, yeah. that I you've mean, talked about it before. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, not the years. personal tragedy of working in banking for 20 years, to yeah. be clear. <laughs> well, my karma restoration yeah. project is still ongoing, so uh, <laughs> we, we know about that, right? So, I, I, and, I, and I laugh because you're so self-aware of this, uh, and I've heard you on some other podcasts or other videos that your company has produced in my research, and, and I've watched you kind of lament your 20 years in banking. Uh, but well, this is personal for you. Let's get into it. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I would also argue that the 20 years in banking kind of prepared me for this journey as well. It was, awesome. Yeah. Um, well, you know... Actually, in interesting ways, uh, there were there was parts of my journey in banking when I built my own systems and realized I could disrupt my competitors by building my own options pricing models. And suddenly knowing that, you know, number one is not always number one forever. If you have better technology, it's actually, it's a huge game changer. And, you know, when I, when I met, uh, when I met Brett, I, I'd realized that and Brett's the original founder who built the initial system. Mm. But how I got on this journey, um, uh, in 06, I, I lost my brother to a drowning accident in Cape Town, uh, just very near where I have my holiday house in Cape Town, near where I grew up. And uh, in 2015, I took time out uh, after capping a 20-year career in investment banking. I was like, I've got to go back to my roots, take my kids, get the feel of Africa under their feet. And as soon as I arrived there, I realized I now have time on my hands and uh, I wanted to do something to honor the men and women who had been volunteering on the National Sea Rescue Institute, which is um, a completely volunteer-based organization that helps offshore rescue in South Africa. 
So it's the equivalent of the Royal Lifeboats in um, in the UK. Uh, I don't think there's quite an American equivalent. We, we don't have that. I mean, we have lifeguards, mm. of course. Yeah. Um, and we have and the Coast, Coast Guard. Guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But th- we don't have a volunteer service yeah. like this. There might be on some lakes or something like that. But, uh, you know, growing up in Cape Town, you, you grow up on the water and you grow yeah. up kind of like the water is a big part of the of your life, correct? Is so, my understanding? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I grew up. I remember the first time I went to London and I couldn't see the sea and I couldn't work out who would have a, a major city without an ocean. It just you know, doesn't make so, sense. It doesn't yeah, compute. Could, but also, completely. as beautiful as the oceans are there, uh, there, there is a respect you have to have for those oceans. Those oceans are particularly, uh, I mean, historically known as the most dangerous oceans in the world coming around yeah. that cape. Is it called Cape Horn? The Cape, yeah, around? cape of Storms. So it's called of the Cape of Storms, right? So yeah. the Cape of Good Hope was notorious for wrecking many merchant uh, yeah. ships uh, over the centuries. And your brother went out for a swim and uh, he just... He, yeah, he, he went he out for a... a uh, there's also notorious wind in Cape Town and the sea is also frighteningly cold. It looks great in photos. It's Instagram friendly, but like yeah. super cold. And right. um, anyway, he got into some, some difficulty swimming offshore and it took a while to I mean, for for that to all trickle down and get the response going, and um, yeah. And he just I went realized out alone, he went out alone for one day for a swim. Yeah, he like he, he swam in a bay nobody swims at, and uh, yeah. you know they might dip their feet in, but no one tries to swim across this particular bay unless you really know what you're doing. So right. Uh, but the the point of that was, you know, I, I land up back in Cape Town, and I know that uh, these men and women who are volunteers, they they have to go. You know, if it's an unsuccessful rescue like it was for my brother, you can imagine just normal people have normal jobs in nine to five, and suddenly they have to go, you know, pull a body from the bottom of um, of the ocean and, and and do all that, and the kind of trauma associated with that is uh, nothing can prepare you for, right? And it is, I went, uh, hmm? yeah. It, it's it's one of the life-changing experiences you can have as emergency service person the first time you get called to a call that you know ends in a death and i you know every single person you've talked to who works on an ambulance or in any volunteer or firefighter they can tell you in detail about that first time and i could tell you my mine as well and you know it's it i wouldn't say it haunts me to this day but it is something i've carried with me for 30 years of my life since i've watched somebody you know, pass uh, or, you know, wasn't able to, in this case, resuscitate somebody who, you know, was having a heart attack and who was very old, but, you know, did CPR on them. And it is a, it is a traumatic experience for sure. Uh, and you yeah, may just it, think it, about that job, think about that work that people do to go and try to help somebody in that moment. It's just, it's, it really is, it takes a tremendous fortitude as an individual. Right. And we could expand on that and say, you know, it's unbelievable. If you think about your 911, the first person you speak to when they, you know, take your 911 call, yeah, I mean they they've had literally thousands of those, and yeah. only recently, just in California now, in the last few weeks, they got recognised as first responders. Before they were um, classified as as clerks or admin, and you can the imagine, this is, yeah, yeah, which is ridiculous. I mean, the dispatchers are such a critical role in this. The dispatchers are negotiating, you know, the where to, who to send, and then where to send them to, and then communicating all these services in the back end. It's they're 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 the conductor of this orchestra of yeah. services, w- whether to deploy a helicopter or a boat or firefighters. I mean, it is 
or talking I mean, about intensity. through CPR, right? I mean, like oh, it's yes, just, it gets course. really hand on and uh, yeah. hands on. I mean, there's a, uh, anyway, I, like we're going down another rabbit hole, which <laughs> I it's can kind talk of the about, point of the show. But I mean, yeah, I, okay, listen, good, just to, to, to put a note in it, I'm very sorry about your brother. And then Thank you. To, to do something this meaningful for with the rest of your life, as opposed to trading options, which you, you know, uh, are pretty self-aware of is, you know, like a video game, right? I mean, yeah. To, to, uh, compare and contrast waking up every day and going to work for the, for the audience who is wondering about what they should do with their life's purpose you're you're now in i guess the the you know the third half of your life like me the importance of finding something that you wake up every day and and the passion you have for this versus maybe the level of passion you had for you know playing the the options video game as it were yeah so i mean the options video game i just wanted to win Right. I mean, that was pretty much, and you could only measure your wins and losses by your PL, by how much money you made. And you could let one, me personally, I always say that I, I created nothing other than revenue in those first 20 years of my life. Obviously, uh, a lot of experience that I, I've garnered over the years. But certainly, if my kids asked me what I would do for a living, I would have to tell them, I, you know, Dad talks a lot on the telephone and, you know, and gets paid. I mean, that's right. like the sum total of, of uh, my net contribution to society. And when I went to – so I landed up volunteering at that agency in Cape Town, right? Wow. And I, The same one that had tried to rescue your brother. The same crew and boat that had gone to try to rescue my brother. So I literally wow. went up to their door and I said, what do you need? Do you need money or people? They said, we need people. And I said, I volunteer. And I started wow. that's heavy. Know, the next Saturday. Yeah, wow. but what was more interesting is about three days after that was their first, well, it was my first monthly meeting every first Wednesday of the month. All the volunteers at that particular station got together. And there were about 20 people who'd been coming there for between 20 and 30 years, like wow. every weekend volunteering. Giving and up their weekends. So they were, up, these are I mean, people, to be clear, who are putting in their 40, 50 hours a week. And then yeah. in the small amount of time they have a week left, they're getting on a boat to go rescue people who are drowning. Yeah. Extraordinary. At, at, I mean, as a guy who got, grew up in like five different Swiss banks between London and New York, to yeah. hear people talk about volunteering their time like this was like a, a total moment for me in realizing that there was so much more to my life than how many toys I could accumulate. Right. And, and the high score in, I mean, basically you're trying to get yeah. a high score in banking. So for young people listening, do something meaningful with your life that also could result in a high score. These are not two disparate things, correct? You, you well, can. I mean, there's, there's two opinions I have on this. One is even when I was in banking, I would I'd be sitting in the city of London and I'd have all these Oxford grads with a double major in you know physics and chemistry coming and trying to get a job on a trading floor. And even then I would say, listen, guys, I don't care what you say to me in this interview. I'm not hiring you. Go, go, you know. Go fix cancer. Like, yeah, the, the the brain drain within the financial community is just, uh, you know, it's it's terrible how that's kind of siphoned off the best of the best. And I think it's maybe re redressed now, and maybe consumer internet is having its moment, taking the best of the best out of there. But uh, I think a, a mission. Oh, that's interesting. Like ours, yeah, no. Know. If you're Facebook or Google and you're printing right. money at the velocity they're printing money, you literally have people who have PhDs in computer vision, computer science, who could be cu literally curing cancer, like doing computer vision models or doing drug discovery models uh, or creating, you know, the, the next, um, you know, device used on an ambulance to save people. And instead of doing that hard work, they're going to optimize the percentage of clicks to an ad for some racist russian paid for 
anti-Hillary Clinton ad. Like literally, that's what you're doing with your life, really? You got a graduate degree from Stanford or Harvard or MIT, and you're going to work at Facebook optimizing the ad network. Really? I mean, it's Well, pathetic. Jason, I mean, this is why um, you know, we've been able to grow like this. Uh, it, we moved uh, our company to Austin in Jan 2019, hmm. and I've recruited out of IBM, Apple, like all the, all the big guys in Austin. And that was largely because we have a mission-driven business, right? When your mission yeah. is, I want to reduce response times for all and improve situational awareness for first responders, it's not, I want to make sure that your eyes never leave, you know, the, the little black mirror in your hand. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Startups. I'm super excited to share with you the top three vote-getters at the Launch Accelerator's 18th cohort. We run an accelerator, and we used to do that in San Francisco and have everybody come out for 12 weeks, but during the pandemic, well, that ended, and we went completely virtual. The accelerator is just like any other top accelerator you've heard of, like Techstars or Y Combinator. Uh, we put in 100K. We work with the company over four months. Uh, it's now a 16-week program, essentially. And we try to help them raise money. We introduce them to every investor we can imagine. And then when they invest each week, they present to investors. So it's like a demo day each week with 10 to 20 investors present. By the end, they've done this 16 times. So they've presented to likely 500 investors. If you can't raise money, after you've pitched 500 investors, that should tell you something about the business. Uh, either um, the business doesn't have product market fit or doesn't have that uptick that would lead investors to want to make a bet. Maybe the investors don't like the space. It could be, you know, a space that's been uh, where the well has been poisoned, maybe like a um, WeWork kind of situation. Uh, but in general, uh, the companies that go through the accelerator, they raise money. And they tend to do it uh, pretty efficiently. That is kind of the point of our accelerator. Other um, programs are more like incubators. We're not that. We're not incubating ideas and getting a product launch. We're looking for companies that have a product in market that have some base level of traction. That could be 2K a month. It could be 50K a month. Um, typically, it's somewhere in between those two numbers. And we work with them. We you know, put a stamp in their book, hey, launch, Jason are involved. That helps a little bit on the margins in terms of getting a meeting. Um, and that selection process where we pick seven companies out of 500 or 1,000 applicants, that really helps other investors know that we ran a process and that we work deeply with these companies and we diligence them. So next up is Sherry. Sherry Atwood is from Support Pay. She was uh, also in the Launch Accelerator's 18th cohort. We do these monthly or so. We're trying to get to monthly. Uh, and Sherry, you had a company called Support Pay. Explain to the audience what Support Pay is. Yeah, support pay helps parents manage child support and share expenses directly with each other. So it is a uh, an app that people pay for. What do they pay for it? Correct. They're starting at $7.99 a month or $79 a year. Uh, and that way they can uh, manage their child support, their finances with their ex, ultimately never having to talk to their ex about money again. For the audience, I've been very careful to not savage people and i and I, I taught this in the angel university classes when you're meeting with founders before you've invested do not savage them do not i in fact i try to give no feedback uh in terms of what to fix in the business i just try to before i invest i just try to learn about the business and the founder but I, i'm not prescriptive i don't give them too many notes or tell them change this change this you should do that when I, after we invest 
then I feel like, well, they've opted in to getting the candidness from me and they kind of expect it. So I'm going to be full bore candid, as brutal as I can be so that they succeed down the road. Um, better to fix your shot or whatever little mistakes you're making in practice than when you're on the court. So what what was the experience like when I savaged you? <laughs> Well, I think that was e exactly the point, right? When we were interviewing with you, you didn't give any feedback. And it's very similar to me fundraising before. People don't give feedback. Uh, I think the key areas where you really, really helped me was one, just the way that my pitch deck looked, uh, mm -hmm. making it much more simple. And um, being all virtual and presenting virtual is very different. And mm -hmm. that's what I don't think people understand is, yes, um, we've gone into this virtual investing world. but your slides and how it looks and even how it sort of what I'll call, call animates, but doesn't really, all of those things are much more important. Um, we realized, for example, we did this test of how many slides should be moving and how the in yep. real world, right, you want less slides, but in virtual, we realized we needed it to, um, you know, move every three to four seconds, else people like lost interest. So yeah. things like that. So with the way it looked, and then the big one was focusing on where we're growing, not trying to go into every go to market strategy. And then finally, really nailing the uh, question and answer. Because if people aren't familiar, right, after we pitch, then the uh, investors get to ask questions and we have two minutes to answer all of their questions. Mm. And so being able to be really um, concise and clear on your answers was also something that your feedback was, uh, you know, even throughout the weeks was amazing because it really helped narrow it, it down. Yeah, I mean, w just to give people a background on this, you really want to give short, tight answers when you're talking to an investor, because the investors tend to be really smart, they've heard everything, they don't need you to explain basic stuff to them. So when they say how many customers they have, it's great to just give them a number, we have a 1000 people subscribed. When they ask you, what's your best marketing channel? or What's your go to marketing strategy? You say, we're doing paid ads on Facebook and Instagram, and our CAC is $72. You answered their question and you gave them one little extra data point, the CAC, right? But I'll also say what you also helped with was how to answer more uh, difficult questions or maybe questions where things aren't as great or wonderful. So yep. how to reframe the questions that they were asking in order to make sure it promoted the business and put you in the best light from those quick answers. What do investors want to see? What do they need to see? Um, investors need to see some growth. The idea of you having zero growth and saying it's coming is not convincing to anyone. And that's what we had the first year. That's where I was, you know, talking to 300 investors and not getting anywhere uh, was that we were flat growth and we had reasons for it and stuff like that. But no one really cares about your reasons. If you aren't showing more revenue the next month, the next month after that, like, uh, we don't care. That's fine. Cool. Let, let us You've know literally you proven growth. to them to not invest. You're like, I can build a business that doesn't grow. <laughs> right. That's, you know, that, to be that's harsh. Take away. Yeah. That, yeah. that is like to be super harsh. And like part of this program is to be harsh, right? Like yes. I always tell people like, be sure you want to have this experience because we're going to be, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to be yeah. brutally honest here. What non-growth founders prove is that they don't deserve capital. And Absolutely. that's a harsh way of saying it, but you actually realize it. You've taken it to heart, haven't you, Gabe? I mean, I, I, I've certainly seen the difference between trying to come to investors with zero growth month over month and coming to investors with 20% growth month over month. I mean, the responses are very, very different. Tell us. Uh, Tell us. Well, I mean, you have to bat people away when you're growing 20% month over month. I mean, we are turning away more than a million dollars now, and we turned away more than a million dollars a few months ago. 
at that point we were growing 15% month over month. At this point we've been growing 20% month over month. And it's like the, the, the difference in desire from investors and just like, oh no, please let me in, let me in. Mm. It's just night and day. Just from hitting, just from between like low single digits and 20%. It's not that big of a difference in terms of a number, but it is very different in terms of the reception. And it's very different in terms of running a company. What, how has running a company changed for you now that you have a North Star that you want to be a high growth company? Um, I mean, I, I think the idea of having a bunch of capital and having, having access to capital and whatever capital you want, that, that changes things. I mean, then you have to start making decisions about, well, what do you actually want? What do you actually need? And what is, what is the right path for this company? And so it frees you up to be really, really strategic with this stuff in a way that just trying to get whatever you possibly need, because otherwise the company's going to fold, like that kind of panic space gives you a lot fewer options and a lot mm. less time to make strategic decisions. Uh, so at the point where you get to actually start turning down capital and saying, no, what capital do I want and who do I want it from and why and what are we going to do with it? Like those yeah, being so able to earned, have the luxury of time, like yeah. that's, that's what you get. Yeah, you've earned the ability to take a bigger picture, to think more strategically. And, you know, this is what Elon always said about Tesla and their journey is, well, the way capital allocation works is the more success that you have and the more you prove that there's a business there, the more capital allocators will give you tokens to put into the video game. So in the case of Tesla, like when they sold 2000 Roadsters, it was like, well, that's an achievement. Here's some more money, but not all of it. When they got the Model S and it was car of the year, it was like, oh, well, let's take this company public. Here's more money. And then they get the X out and then the Model 3. Eventually, they're like, okay, this company's unstoppable. Sure. Now they can start thinking in a decade-long way instead of, you know, in, in the early days of Tesla, they were looking at, you know, month-to-month -month life. They were, they were literally hand-to-mouth. So how has that changed for you, Jeremy? I'm curious um, in terms of thinking about life as a growth company versus – you know, the reality of like, hey, maybe the product isn't finished or it's not, yeah. you know, like you can't just yeah. all of a sudden, you know, put the car at 100 miles per hour if it's only got three wheels on it. So how My do you God, think about I, that? Yeah, it's so true. Like, I always think like everything's falling apart internally, yeah. right? Like we're we're building companies within companies. Like there's mm. companies built around being a form builder yeah. and we have a form builder inside our app builder. So right. like there's there's always things that are like like three wheels and you're trying to like put the best face on you possibly can while you're still trying to grow. The the funny thing that has happened since launch is the it, the outbound that I learned in launch that I that I keep uh, uh, having it, it has it is slowly pivoted to getting the most inbound interest from partners at tier ones like VCs that I've ever had in my entire life. So like as you start to grow and like people are interested in the no code ecosystem, like building the business w does back that thesis that I was talking about earlier that if you focus on the business and make sure that that's growing and wearing that pressure, people will find you somehow some way. Yeah, uh, there are smart people out there watching you uh, <laughs> and what those investors are sometimes watching is, oh, you raised a seed round. So as I, I was, you know, I was training in the Angel University course, somebody asked me a question of like, well, how could I find companies to invest in? I said, well, that's very easy. Go on Crunchbase, say in your state or just in the United States, let's say if you're in the United States, and that's where you want to invest, do the United States, take two month period, January and February of last year, and take any company that raised uh, between 50,000 
and 750,000, which your companies might have fell into at some point. Yeah. And then if they're in there and they've raised that amount of money, that's not enough money to last three years. So if it was last year, a year ago, or maybe 15 months ago, they're probably looking now if they're still alive, and then go see how many employees they have. If they've got 12 employees and they only raised 250, well, 12 employees times, you know, five or 10K a month each, <laughs> they're going to, they probably have revenue if they, or maybe they raised money and you don't know. So it's just teaching my angel investors how to find companies, but that's what, that's just so you guys know how that's happening. That's how they're well, finding you. Yeah. They, like, and that's why it, it's important I, to keep your crunch base and to write a blog yeah. post about your fundraising and to keep Absolutely. that cadence of news going, Gabriel, with your mm. monthly updates. The best of This Week in Startups is brought to you by LinkedIn Marketing. To redeem a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com slash thisweekinstartups, Silicon Valley Bank. For over 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has helped thousands of tech and life science companies plan for the future. Learn more at svb.com slash next. Silicon Valley Bank, built for what's next. Main Street. Founders, you're owed over $50,000 by the IRS. Main Street gets it back for you in 20 minutes. Get back your cash at MainStreet.us slash twist. DigitalOcean's app platform. A new platform as a service solution to build modern cloud-native apps. With app platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Get started for free at do.co slash twist. That's do.co slash twist. Pipe. SaaS companies, this is for you. Pipe helps you unlock your recurring revenue as upfront capital. No debt, no loans, no dilution. Sign up in minutes and start trading on Pipe free for 12 months at pipe.com slash twist. Our crowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join our crowd for free at ourcrowd.com slash twist. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of software that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever, and right now Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. Clavio is the e-commerce marketing platform that helps brands build relationships with memorable email and SMS messages. Today, more than 50,000 brands like Living Proof, Hint, and Chubbies choose Clavio to help them grow. Learn more and get started with a free trial at clavio.com slash twist. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash twist linkedin jobs a business is only as strong as its people and every hire matters get fifty dollars off your first job post at linkedin.com slash twist and squarespace turn your idea into a new website 
Go to squarespace.com twist for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain.